History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. spooktacular people welcome to this 432nd episode of the history ghost bump podcast ghost tours for the theater of the mind i am your host diane and this is kelly kelly on this episode we're going to harvard oh someplace that would have never let us in (laughs) most definitely not but we're coming in on this episode because it is apparently quite haunted looking forward to it And Kelly, just so everybody knows, your throat is a little under the weather. (laughs) Yeah, I'm recovering from a little bit of a cold and don't have much of a voice, so my apologies. Before we get into sharing all of that goodness, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Madison, Becky, Renee, Tyler, Jonathan, who spells his name J-O-H-N at the beginning, Brian, Daniel, I hope I say this right, Jerry Maha. Then there is Saria, I hope I said that right as well, Stephen Coulter. Shauna, Marine, Robin with a Y, and Andy with an I at the end. Thank you so much for joining us in our Facebook group. And now, this moment, Noddity. Asteroids hit the Earth all the time. It is estimated that this occurs every 10 months. Would you believe that only five asteroids have been detected before hitting Earth? Number five happened last month, March of 2022. The asteroid was named 2022 EB-5 and was first seen by astronomer Christian Zarneski, who was at the Piscostetto mountain station at the time. This location is part of Konkoli Observatory in Hungary. The asteroid was estimated to be about the size of a refrigerator. The asteroid impacted the Earth at 39,600 miles per hour, around two hours after it was first detected. The system that is set up for tracking asteroids rolled into action after detection. NASA's impact hazard assessment system that is known as SCOUT began tracking the space rock. NASA then contacted the Center for Near-Earth Object Studies, CNEOS. This team then predicts a fairly exact location of impact. And they were right on on this one, predicting it would hit the Earth's atmosphere above an unpopulated volcanic island 310 miles east of Greenland. It's hard to believe that this is only the fifth asteroid detected before impact. But even weirder is that the first one only happened as far back as 2008. And that certainly is odd. Hello, this is Victoria from victoriaslift.com. When I'm not taking those who must choose their destiny for a ride on the lift, I'm listening to History Goes Bump podcast. History isn't boring. It's terrifying. The past remains with us, and so do its spirits. Can you hear them calling? They want you to know their stories. Listen now to their voices and the truth from the past.
And now this month in history. In the month of April, on the 13th in 1970, an oxygen tank aboard Apollo 13 explodes. Apollo 13 was the third manned lunar landing mission and was carrying three astronauts, John L. Swigert, James L. Lovell, and Fred W. Hayes. The spaceship was 200,000 miles from Earth and on its second day of the mission when oxygen tank number two blew. Houston, there indeed was a problem, and engineers on the ground scrambled to come up with a solution as the spacecraft was left crippled. Apollo 13 made it to the moon, circled it, and started for home. The astronauts must have been pretty sad as they watched the moon go by knowing they couldn't land and that they would be lucky to make it home alive. Several untested maneuvers and cobbled together repairs managed to give the astronauts enough air to make it home and enough energy was provided to the fuel cells to allow re-entry. On April 17th, Apollo 13 touched down safely in the Pacific Ocean. Harvard University is located in Cambridge, Massachusetts. This is America's oldest university and was established in 1636. This was meant for the education of clerics, but moved on to becoming an Ivy League college of higher learning. Presidents, esteemed authors, and pioneers in medicine and engineering have all been educated here. This is a place of science, and yet many students and staff have come away with tales of ghostly experiences. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of Harvard University. In the early 1600s, thousands of Puritans were migrating to the New England area, and there was a real need to have enough clergy to serve them all. This new institution to train up clergy would be a, quote, church in the wilderness. The Great and General Court of the Massachusetts Bay Colony voted in 1636 to establish new college for this purpose. A house and an acre of land were bought from Goodman Paintree. This area was first known as Cow Yard Row, then became College Yard, and finally Harvard Yard and this original patch sits at the southern end of the old yard today. Buildings were erected, and the first printing press in America would find its home here in 1638. I thought that was pretty cool. The first printing press was at this college. Most definitely. In 1639, New College would become Harvard University, taking its name from Reverend John Harvard, who had bequeathed half his estate and his entire library to the school upon his death. All but one of those books would burn in a fire at the school in 1764. That's horrible. So sad. In 1642, Harvard conducted its first commencement with nine graduates. I'm sure it's much larger today. I would imagine. In those early years, there was a very small teaching staff, and these professors were considered the most learned men of their time. The curriculum focused on rote learning drills. So basically, you know how we do like flashcards and repeating stuff over and over again. 
The 18th century would bring a broader range of subjects, and several of the buildings still standing today were built at this time. Anything built before this century was demolished. Harvard would have some strong connections to the Revolutionary War and the founding of America. In 1775, Continental soldiers would be quartered in buildings on the campus. In 1776, eight Harvard alumni signed the Declaration of Independence. In 1787, future President John Adams graduated from Harvard. Medical studies were added in 1782. Law would come in 1816 and divinity followed in 1817, which I thought was interesting because this was a school for clerics, but they didn't have a school of divinity until 1817. Yeah, that is unusual. I don't know what the difference is here or what, but that was weird. Harvard's new shield and motto of Veritas were introduced in 1843. Also at this time, rote learning was replaced with lectures. Many people identify the color crimson with Harvard, but it actually wasn't the official school color until 1910. Apparently, school colors weren't really a thing until then. Huh. It's something I've never actually looked into, but I guess it didn't start until the early 1900s. Crimson was an unofficial color, though, starting in the mid-1800s when a couple of rowing team members wore crimson scarves so they could be seen from afar. In 1870, Harvard would graduate its first black man. This was Richard Theodore Greener. Women would come to Harvard in 1879 when the Harvard Annex was added. There were 27 women in that first enrollment. Harvard Annex would later be known as Radcliffe College. The first woman on the faculty wouldn't come until 1918 with the appointment of Alice Hamilton. The 20th century would bring more diversity to the university as financial aid programs were implemented. Interestingly, when it comes to diversity, Harvard had an Indian school early on. Matthews Hall sits where the Indian College had been from 1655 to 1698. John Sassaman was from a Massachusetts tribe, and in 1653, he became the first Native American to study at Harvard. He worked with Indian Bible translator John Eliot and later became a scribe and interpreter to Wampanoag chief Metacom, better known as King Philip. It would be Sassamon's murder in 1675, because he was an English informant, that started the King Philip's War. Harvard University has continued to grow through the years and currently enrolls 17,000 students in regular courses and an additional 30,000 in non-degree courses. Goodness. I was like, whoa. An interesting true crime case is connected to Harvard dating back to 1849. John White Webster was a lecturer at the new Harvard Medical College in 1849. Webster was described as a nervous man who delivered tedious lectures for non-scientific minds. So apparently it was over some people's heads. I don't know. (laughs) Sounds like it. His students enjoyed many of the lectures because he would include pyrotechnics and they nicknamed him Skyrocket Jack. The president of Harvard wasn't very pleased with those lectures. Webster didn't present himself as a man who would commit a heinous murder. He was horrible with money, though, and had recently had to give up the Cambridge mansion he had built. He was also in debt to several friends. George Parkman, on the other hand, was great with money, and he came from one of Boston's richest families. He was well-known and was a hard worker. Oliver Wendell Holmes said of him, He abstained while others indulged. He walked while others rode. He worked while others slept. Webster went to Parkman for a loan in 1842 that would be equivalent to nearly $11,000 today. He paid a bit of it back, but then asked Parkman for more. There was a promissory note equivalent to $67,000 today, which represented the unpaid balance and another loan. Webster offered as collateral a cabinet of minerals and some other personal property. 
1848, Webster needed more money, so he borrowed from another friend and used the already promised mineral cabinet as collateral on this loan. When Parkman heard about it, he became enraged. He went to a lecture Webster was giving and demanded the money from ticket sales. Later, Webster visited Parkman at his house and suggested the men have a meeting at the Harvard Medical College on November 23, 1849. Parkman entered the college at 1.45 p.m. and was never seen alive again. The following day, he was reported missing. Ephraim Littlefield was the janitor at the medical college, and he was experienced in helping the professors set up their rooms, and he even sold them cadavers for dissection. He noticed that Webster had filled his furnace with fuel several times and that it was burning really hot. When Webster left, he let himself into the room through a window. He returned later with his wife and equipment to break into a vault that the police had not searched, and he found a human pelvis, a right thigh, and a lower left leg. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, ooh. ooh. Good grief. Certainly as a janitor, do you want to be cleaning that stuff up? The police found other evidence and body parts throughout the lab. Webster was convicted and executed. Interestingly, Parkman's widow led a fun drive to support Webster's wife and children. Can you believe that? Oh. I mean, talk about being forgiving. This guy not only killed your husband, but clearly butchered him. And you took care of his family after that. Yeah. We don't know if Parkman is hanging out at Harvard in the afterlife, but plenty of other spirits are, and here are some of the reputed haunted locations. We're starting with Thayer Hall. Harvard Yard holds all the dormitories, and these are only for housing freshmen. Thayer Hall was built in 1870. Housing prices were really rising at that time, and this dormitory was meant to offer a cheaper place for students. Some well-known people who have stayed here include Walter Isaacson, E.E. Cummings, Conrad Aiken, Microsoft's Steve Ballmer, and Hamza bin al-Hussein, the former crown prince of Jordan. The ghosts that haunt this dorm are all former mill workers. This had once been a textile mill. These spirits are seen as misty apparitions that are clothed in Victorian garb. What really makes witnesses know that these are ghosts is that they'll enter the building through walls, rather than doors. Inside the dorm, they also walk through walls. Writer Fiona Broom was told by a professor that he had seen spirits pop in and out of walls. It seems that the spirit workers are more active in the winter. And, you know, if you're hearing about this from a professor, probably a little bit more honest about it because they're probably not going to want to tell you. I see these things come in and out of the walls all the time. Exactly. Next, we have Weld Hall. Weld Hall was built in 1870 as well. The dormitory was designed by Ware and Van Brunt in the Queen Anne architectural style. It was a gift of William Fletcher Weld, who paid for the building as a memorial gift for his brother Stephen Minot Weld. And this is where the name comes from. John F. Kennedy stayed at this dorm during his time at Harvard. A woman named Audris Wong stayed in Weld Hall in the mid-1980s. Hurricane Gloria was coming through at the time, and Wong had gotten some candles in case the power went out. She decided to have a seance later with one of the candles. (laughs) As one does, because, you know, they're already lit, so what the heck? (laughs) I mean, what else are we going to use them for? She describes what happened in Matthew Swain's America's Haunted Universities. My eyes were transfixed at the space between my two roommates when I saw an old woman with a dark cloak and grayish hair. It wasn't like the mist that you see in the movies, but it was very vague, like an impression. I couldn't see any of her features. She was just leaning against the wall, listening to our conversation. See, that's what happens. You shouldn't have been conjuring stuff. Other students claim to hear strange knocks in the building. It's thought that a fire that burned down the dorm in the 1960s and that was later rebuilt and restored may have trapped some spirits. And now we have the Wadsworth House, which is more commonly known as the President's House. 
This building was constructed in 1726 for Benjamin Wadsworth and his family. From 1727 to 1846, nine Harvard presidents lived in the house. For a brief time in 1775, this was a temporary headquarters for Generals George Washington and Charles Lee. Later, students would live here, including Ralph Waldo Emerson. Then Harvard offices were here. This is the second oldest surviving building on the campus. Clark Schuler was an IT specialist at Harvard, and he was in Wadsworth House one night during the winter. He was the only one there in the building, and he was in a downstairs office with his back to the door. He felt like someone was standing behind him, and then he heard someone clear his throat. He spun around to see who was behind him, and there was no one there. Schuler logged off the computer and left the building. Apparitions in colonial garb have been seen in the building. A cleaning lady was alone in the house vacuuming when she witnessed a spirit that looked quite grim and was wearing a tricorn hat and cloak walk down the stairs and exit through the door. Next, we have Lowell House. So what we've been describing before this were dormitories. And then Harvard's housing for upperclassmen are called houses. So if you're a freshman, you stay in a dorm. Above that, you're in houses. And these are usually a series of buildings with each cluster having its own senior faculty member called a master. This system is unique in American academics. I don't think any other college does it. One of those houses is Lowell House, and it was built in 1929. This is named for the Lowell family, which included Harvard President Abbott Lawrence Lowell, who instituted the house system at Harvard. So I guess it's fitting you call a house after him. His Pulitzer Prize-winning sister, poet Amy Lowell, brother Percival Lowell, who was an astronomer who spearheaded the search for Pluto. And is that, do we consider that a planet now or not? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's changed a few times. I don't think it's a planet at this moment, but I could be wrong. And grandfather John Lowell. This would become the first Harvard house to be led by a same-sex couple, which occurred in 1998. The house would introduce the idea of weekly teas, high tables, and opera galas. The Lowell House Opera is the longest continually running opera company in New England. One of the spirits here is believed to belong to Amy Lowell. She wasn't a student at Harvard, but she spent much of her life on the campus, and her portrait hangs in Lowell House. Her full-bodied apparition has been seen, and the phantom scent of her thin, hand-rolled cigars is smelled. I love that she smokes cigars. <laughs> Another ghost here is thought to belong to former housemaster Elliot Perkins. He and his wife, Mary, served as masters from 1942 to 1963. They had a long run there. His spirit is believed to attend Thursday teas. His wife, Mary, reputedly said, For instance, I believe in ghosts and all kinds of things of that sort, as you know. So we're betting she would believe her husband was still here in the afterlife. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. This episode has been brought to you by Best Fiends. Kelly, I know you're not a real big dessert person, but are there times you wish you could eat dessert first? But of course, I have a lot of people who wonder how in the world I do all the stuff I do when it comes to the podcast, how I have time to do anything. And I always kind of joke and tell people, well, I don't sleep. Well, one of the things I also have to do is put off a lot of fun where I just do something mindless like play Best Fiends. And I love this game. So it really has become a reward for me. And you watched me do this yesterday. I worked all day doing the new script for Phantasmal Crime. And then I sat down and I'm like, I'm going to play this game for like the next hour and a half and do nothing else because this is my reward for myself. I deserve this. Absolutely. I've gotten myself up to level 520 and I'm still not anywhere near you. Where are you at? <laughs> 757. 
of course, we're in the season of Easter right now. So we've got a little bug on there that's got his little bunny outfit on. He's so cute. Carrying around his Easter eggs. And you get all these different rewards for that. But I had this new thing pop up that's a special mission. So I've only gotten up to 520 because I've been doing the special mission, which has 30 of its own levels. These are themed quests. So I'm on a quest. And this is Edward's quest. And Edward is the mosquito. Your favorite. He is my favorite. He is so cute. And if I get through this quest, I get him to be hypersonic. He's going to have a jetpack. Oh, very cool. Who doesn't want a mosquito with a jetpack? <laughs> well, I was working on attaining Edward the Egg for my Easter surprise while you were working on your quest. That's what's cool about Best Fiends. It has all these new challenges that it brings up. It's always fresh. And there's so many. There's literally thousands of levels. So I can understand why there's been 100 million downloads of this game. It's so great. I definitely agree. And Edward's so cute in his little egg. He's sitting in a little like Fabergé egg. He's adorable. And the really cool thing is Best Fiends is free to download. It's this mobile puzzle game. It's a match three. I've played a lot of them. And this one by far is the best. I am totally obsessed with it. As am I. Our listeners, you guys have earned your fun time too. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download Best Fiends for free. Plus, earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5, which you'll do very quickly, I promise. Yes, that's true. Go to the App Store or Google Play to download Best Fiends for free. That's That's Best Best Fiends. Friends Friends without without the R. R. And here's another unique podcast I'd love you to check out. My name is Andrew Dodge. I've spent the last 11 years getting to know some of America's most infamous criminals, such as serial killers, spree killers, mass murderers, gangsters, mobsters, and many more criminals. Unforbidden Truth will bring you interviews with not only these individuals, but also mental health professionals, survivors of violent crime, and professionals in other fields related to crime. This is the only place you will hear the murderers tell their own stories from their own mouths, uncut, unraw, which is the unforbidden truth. And now on to the Adams House. This is said to be the most haunted of the house system. Three former dormitories were joined together in 1931 to make Adams House. These were Westmorley, Apthorpe, and Randolph, and had been luxurious dorms for upperclassmen. Famous former residents include President Franklin D. Roosevelt, John Lithgow, Fred Gwynn, and Peter Sellers. The master's residence is in Apthorpe, and that seems fitting since the Battle of Bunker Hill was planned here. British General John Gentleman Johnny Burgoyne was held here as a prisoner after surrendering at the Battle of Saratoga. It is believed that he haunts the house. A student named Hannah Bolden heard unexplained noises in the attic in the 1980s. Other students claim to have seen the spirits of Revolutionary War soldiers. Next is Massachusetts Hall. Massachusetts Hall is the oldest surviving building on Harvard's campus and the second oldest academic building in the United States. This was built between 1718 and 1720 in Harvard Yard and was designed by Harvard President John Leverett and his successor, Benjamin Wadsworth. The building served originally as a dorm and today still houses freshmen on the fourth floor. The rest of the building is office space. Some time ago, a man claiming to be Holbrook Smith and a member of the class of 1914 started appearing to students. 
he'd chat them up in their first few weeks at the college, and many of the incoming freshmen found the elderly man a comfort. They did start noticing, though, that they never heard doors open or close when he was around. It was as if he just walked through the wall, and no one ever found any records for a Holbrook Smith. Students soon started going to the assistant dean, William C. Burris Young, to tell him about this man who seemed to be impersonating a former student. Dean Young decided to confront the man, and he found him in the B-entry section of the building. He told Smith that he needed to leave. Smith got very sad and said, You've ruined a perfectly good thing. Aww. <laughs> he kicked the ghost out, darn it. Everyone was convinced this was a ghost, and students will invoke the name of Smith when weird events occur in Massachusetts Hall. Many believe this residual energy remains as a protector, and students claim that there are other phantoms in the building. And now on to the Widener Library. The library stacks were described as vast and cavernous. There are around 3.5 million books here. This is considered Harvard Library's flagship location. We heard about this location in Haunted Cemeteries 22. Harry Elkins Widener has his memorial at Laurel Hill Cemetery in Philadelphia, which is next to his parents whom he joined on the Titanic on its maiden voyage. Harry went down with the ship and his body was never recovered. If you recall, we shared that his mother survived and had the library at Harvard built and dedicated for her son. She bequeathed his collection of rare books to the library in 1915, along with a portrait of her son, which was created by the French painter Gabriel Ferrier. There's a memorial room dedicated to Widener in the library, and fresh flowers are placed there daily. The portrait of Harry hangs above the fireplace in the memorial room. In the early 2000s, the library was renovated and the portrait was removed to protect it and to have it cleaned. Now, I don't know why they did this, but in its place, a piece of plywood was hung and research material was moved into the room temporarily. So they were kind of using it as another space for a while. I don't know why they put the plywood up there. I don't know if there was like something the portrait was covering that they wanted to cover up. So odd. Yeah. But this apparently angered the spirit of his mother. Barbara Berg was a librarian at Widener and she said, not long after we moved into the memorial room, a few pieces of plaster dropped from the ceiling onto several of our desks. While nobody was hit on the head by the plaster, it did get our attention. We therefore surmised that Harry Widener's mother was unhappy that Harry's portrait wasn't hanging in the room. So we photocopied a photograph of the portrait and taped it onto the plywood over the fireplace. After that, there were no other unexplained occurrences that I can remember. <laughs> now it might just be they were doing renovations and it knocked some stuff loose but i like that idea that mom was like uh-uh and speaking of libraries the cabot library suite has a spirit as well the spirit hanging out here is said to belong to radcliffe alumna margaret coleman waits a collection of her books and antiques are housed here harvard's paper the crimson writes in october 2003 of this space Besides the standard party room essentials like the Beirut table and beer funnel, the Cabot Suite librarians have equipped their room with a library lounge, which is a second large common room wallpapered with tin foil and blue and red construction papered accents. Hmm. Okay. With dimmed lighting and accessories like incense, a light bright, and old school Super Mario Brothers played to the sounds of classical symphonies. The room is decidedly trippy. The boys say that the classic dark wood bookshelves, which came complete with several volumes of Shakespeare, not to mention about 30 rotting CUE guides, add a touch of sophistication to their party scene. I mean, who wouldn't have a light, bright, and Super Mario Brothers playing to classic <laughs> symphony? <laughs> and I'm 
guessing that there's some sort of haze hanging in the air. Yeah, I'm while sure there congregating. is. And it's got to have that old beer smell, too, I'm sure. A former student named O'Malley claimed to have been visited by then-ghost of Waits in his sleep. And why wouldn't she be visiting? Because look at what they've done with her collection of books in this space. <laughs> right. She's like, there's a bunch of boys partying in here. I'm not happy. And the walls are papered with tinfoil and... <laughs> Red, Red and blue, and blue construction, construction paper? paper. <laughs> Just... Okay. And a little library fun fact. The death mass of pioneering Harvard ghost hunter William James and former Harvard professor Archibald Carey Coolidge are housed at the Hutton and Pousset libraries. Next, we have Sanders Theater. After the Civil War, the Harvard Corporation decided that they needed to create a memorial for students who fought for the Union. They decided to make this a building. They raised $370,000, and the former college steward, Charles Sanders, bequeathed $40,000 to the college. Thus its name. A spot on the Delta was chosen, and Harvard alumni who were prominent architects designed the building. The construction started in 1870, and the cornerstone was laid on October 6, 1870. The Memorial Hall was completed in 1874. The Sanders Theater was completed in 1875, and the tower was completed in 1877. Spirits are seen looking out of the windows, and full-bodied apparitions are seen walking around outside. The basement is said to be the most haunted area in the theater. Sam Baltrusis writes in his book, Ghosts of Cambridge, Haunts of Harvard Square and Beyond, about a picture sent to Cambridge Haunts. One photo shot in early 2012 and submitted to Cambridge Haunts captured a spirit photo of what looks like a man from the Civil War era. He's wearing period garb and sporting facial hair indicative of the mid-1800s. The image is dark yellow in color, and it is believed it's one of the Southern students who left during Harvard's winter break in 1860-61 during President Cornelius Conway Felton's stint. So very interesting. I would love to see that picture. As would I. And finally, we have the ghost of William James. There's a white skyscraper in the center of campus that is named for William James, as is the psychology department. James is known as the father of American psychology. He was the brother of writer Henry James and came from a wealthy family headed by Swedenborgian theologian Henry James Sr. He devoted a good portion of his life to the study of parapsychology. He started looking into the paranormal and evidence of life after death after his baby son Herman died in 1884. Much of his life was dedicated to proving the existence of the paranormal. He befriended a medium named Leonora Piper, who seemed to know things about him and Herman that he didn't believe she could know without some kind of supernatural gift. He studied her abilities up until his death in 1910. He co-founded the American Society for Psychical Research in New York. Harvard actually supported him in his studies, and one professor even helped him test Piper. He gave her a false name and asked her to reveal to him what was engraved inside a ring that he got from his mother. Piper gave him the right information, and he was completely baffled. Students claim that the spirit of James is still on campus. Yeah, I don't know if they see his full-bodied apparition, but they do tend to blame some things on him if something unexplained happens. And as an aside to this, Harvard has a strong history with psychical research. The man who took over James' psychology chair after his death was British psychologist William McDougall, and he had an interest in parapsychological phenomenon. He sat on a panel of judges that included Harry Houdini to judge mediums on their abilities in a contest hosted by Scientific American in the early 1920s. Psychic Mina Marjorie Crandon was part of this contest, and she also was evaluated over the years by a group of Harvard students and faculty. 
The Crimson even reported on these sessions. They eventually declared her a fraud after a magician gave them the same results. But clearly the Ivy League Harvard was open to paranormal activity. And a final fun haunting goes back to the rebellion of 1818 that took place at University Hall. A residual sound of the melee was heard in the hall until the 1960s. Harvard University has a long and enduring history and clearly many hauntings to go with that history. Are these locations on the campus haunted? That is for you to decide. Yeah, I find it fascinating when you have like this Ivy League school that you think is full of scientists and engineers and mathematics people and everything. The last thing they're going to be talking about is ghosts. But clearly, they do talk about them. Yes, they do. I love that they embrace them. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. Shelby shared this fun little thing that happened to her. She said, hi, ladies. I just wanted to share what happened this week binging HGB while driving. I had the GPS on as I had to find an obscure address. Weirdly, the GPS voice sounded just like yours, Diane. It was really hard to tell the difference. Oh, my goodness. Somebody needs to pay me for my voiceover work. (laughs) I can't remember what episode it was, but you and Kelly were talking about what an EVP might be saying. Diane, you said something like, here's what we think it says. Then I hear you, in quotation marks, say go through the next light, then turn left. I thought, wow, that was really clear. Great catch. I was very disappointed (laughs) when I realized it was the GPS telling me what to do. (laughs) What a great EVP. (laughs) Oh, yeah, duh, she said. Made me smile for the rest of the day. Yeah, I mean, gosh, an EVP directing you exactly where to go. It's like, what, is the ghost over there? (laughs) (laughs) We heard from Danielle, and she wanted to contact us about the Widener family, which... Haunted Cemeteries 22 had no idea that we're going to be talking about Haunted Harvard on this one and talking about them again. And she had heard Kate talking about her story of visiting the graves and feeling like she might have been on the Titanic. So now the Wideners have made it into a third episode. Yes, indeed. And this person said, so check it out. I have a very good friend who's a descendant of the Wideners that you mentioned on the podcast today from an emailed experience. I told him about the original cemetery episode that touched on his family. This friend happens to be gay and he was he feels like he's very connected to this uncle who would have been a great uncle that died on the ship. And he kind of thinks that he might have been gay, too. And he thinks that's why they have this connection. Wow. So she said "Thought you might find it cool. He had some other stories that I can't remember offhand, but the episode today reminded me that I wanted to share this. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Awesome. And then Kelly, we had a really weird experience just this morning that we're recording (laughs) Yes, we did. So it's a Saturday morning and it's 5.55 in the morning and I roll over and I'm like, I wake up out of a dream. And this was a really weird dream because we were walking in a neighborhood somewhere that was an older neighborhood because it had very mature landscapes. And some guy was coming up the sidewalk on one of these ride-on lawnmowers and then he kind of veered off to the side and went through this bush And it was kind of like a cartoon effect where the body was still, you could see the body that went through the bush kind of thing. It it left the (laughs) opening for that. Right. And then for some reason, somebody had a clothesline in their front yard and he got wrapped up in that. (laughs) So I wake up right out of that. And of course, I need to go to the bathroom because I'm older and I'm female. (laughs) And it takes me a minute to get out of bed. But I get out of bed. I stand up and I start walking around the bed to go into the master bathroom And I hear this distant female voice, which I'm thinking is you, say, Diane? And so I reply, yeah. And then a couple seconds later, I hear, where are you? And 
I'm trying to figure out where this you are at the time. <laughs> and I'm looking at the bed because I'm like, is she up? And it's dark in the room, so I can't see if you're still in bed or not. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to the bathroom. And as I'm saying that, you scare the crud out of me because from the bed, I hear you go. What are you doing? Except it was r- way more hoarse than what my voice is right now because I was literally just shocked awake by you yelling out into the house. I'm think the first thing that popped into my head is who's in the house? And you didn't sound really alarmed. So I was thinking, well, your parents have the key or the combo to the front door. Did they come over for some reason? Is everybody okay? Like it scared the crud out of me. <laughs> yeah, so we both like scared each other. And so then I told you, I thought I just heard you yell my name and then ask me where I was. And then I said, well, did I sound like this? <laughs> Which it <laughs> didn't. I had no voice at all, pretty much. And I can't say that it specifically sounded like you. It was just, it was a, a female voice. So I assumed it was yours and it, I was really distant. And so I was trying to figure out, did she go into the bathroom that's on the other side of the house or is she in the master bathroom? And I thought, well, she'd be louder if she was in the master bathroom. And then at the same time, I'm also thinking, how does she even know I got out of bed? Because our bed doesn't make a lot of noise. No. We just have a sleep number. And so there's not like these creaking little coils or springs. The headboard's not even attached to it. So it's like you can get out of bed pretty quietly. (laughs) So I'm like, how did she even know I was up? And so I'm processing all this stuff. Then you asked me, well, were you dreaming? Yeah, because initially I thought maybe you were, I mean, I've never seen you sleepwalk and I've only heard you mumble, I think like once in your sleep. So it's not a regular thing for you. But I was wondering, is she sleepwalking? (laughs) Yeah. And I've never, I've never sleepwalked in my life. And I was, I was definitely awake because I was consciously processing everything. It was like, I'm hearing this voice. I'm responding to it. I'm hearing it again. And then I'm responding to that again. And then you're talking. So I'm like, <laughs> all you. of this <laughs> is conscious. I'm I'm fully awake and conscious. I could maybe believe that the first thing I heard was still, I'm kind of in that zone where I'm not completely awake. But by that time I am because I'm trying to process which toilet can I go to? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That was the most important. Which one is issue at hand? <laughs> So then when I came back to bed and we were talking about it a little bit later, and, and let me just preface this as well. You do talk in your sleep and you have awakened me when you're talking in your sleep. And <laughs> yes. I have spoken to you <laughs> when you've, you know, I've woken up and gone, what did you say? And then you don't say anything. And I'm like, oh, you know what? She was talking in her sleep again. So if people are thinking that you were talking in your sleep and I was responding to it, it's a possibility. But it, again, it was distant. It wasn't coming from the bed. Well, and I wouldn't have sounded like that either because I literally croaked when I was reacting to you because, you know, if anybody that's had a head cold and their voice is kind of ravaged by that first thing in the morning, first words out of your mouth, they usually don't sound too great. I mean, it definitely was not clear when I was talking to you. (laughs) As far as I know, our house is not haunted unless we brought something home with us, but we usually tell whatever it is it needs to stay we don't have a bunch of antique type things that would have attachments but then I come back to bed and you tell me about a dream you had been having when you woke up because I woke you up yeah I literally had just been dreaming we were in a different home it was a larger home and we had been removing the tiles from the floor and we discovered that there was original hardwood floor so we were in the process of refinishing it And we needed something from the Home Depot. 
And so I literally had just been awoken from the part where I was calling out for you to see if you were ready to go to the Home Depot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the whole thing of Diane and where are you would make sense, except I know that there's no way I said it out loud because you wouldn't, well, for one, you wouldn't have heard it at a distance. Exactly. And for two, I had no voice when... Yeah. When you first woke me up when you were yelling. Which makes me wonder, you and I have a very strong connection. As I think most people who are married to each other, you end up finishing your sandwiches, as they say on Frozen. (laughs) You finish each other's sentences. You say things at the same time because you're just so used to being around each other. I think ours goes a little bit further than I definitely do because we haven't really been together that terribly long. I mean, it's been four years, but we've been doing this from the beginning. Yeah, indeed. So we have this kind of connection, which is why I call us Twin Flames, which has nothing to do with that new podcast that's out there talking (laughs) about the cult (laughs) of Twin Flames, which sounds like a bizarre thing where people are encouraged to stalk people and gender reassign to match up with oh, their word. I know. their twin flames or whatever. But the concept of a twin flame is that you are these two souls that were a single thing that split apart, came down here and found each other down here kind of thing. Exactly. So you're soulmates, but even on a higher level and that there's only that one out there. And when you find each other, it's amazing. Hopefully the two halves you can find each other. Yes. Which is the whole reason why we just blew up our worlds to be together. So yes, because of that connection that we have, I'm wondering, because we do occasionally have dreams that are very similar to each other. They're interactive oftentimes. And this one, something happens in your dream, which is like what's happening in my dream. And that is just the most bizarre thing when we wake up and start talking about them. Yeah. And this one could have been similar because like I said, we were in an older neighborhood with manicured lawns and everything because we're where we live right now is a new neighborhood it's it hasn't been here very long right and so it could have been that i'm like on the outside of the house having these experiences of this new this older house that we're trying to remodel or whatever i don't know if that was connected but i find it fascinating that you were just dreaming about diane where are you you ready to go right i'm hearing diane where are you audibly (laughs) that i'm responding to it yeah our minds kind of went you know you see that emoji with the mind blown that was yeah so i'm like is was this a paranormal experience along those lines that i was hearing you in your dream and i might not have been hearing it i think i'm hearing it audibly but maybe it was in my head that i was hearing it because When I described that it sounded distant, it's really hard for me to describe because it wasn't like hearing you across the house yelling for me because that would be a little lower in sound, but it still is on this level. Yeah, our house isn't that large. I mean, it really sounded like, I can't even describe it, like you were kind of in a tunnel somewhere or something. It was weird. (laughs) But it was, you know, I was half awake. So it was like, I think she must be in the bathroom on the other end of the house. And that's why she sounds really low. I don't know. Yeah, you sounded so confused when you were yelling out. It wasn't like you were panicked or something. It was just, it was a very weird experience for me to wake up in the bed and see you by the bedroom door, like hollering out like, well, where are you? And turning around. And I think (laughs) I was even starting to have a little bit of a panic because I couldn't understand why you were yelling out for me and how you would even know that I was out of bed. (laughs) Yeah, that I was up. It was, it's just weird. So I don't know. What do you guys think that was all about? (laughs) <laughs> you guys are psycho. No, I'm just <laughs> we want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers.
Join me in the cemetery by becoming an executive producer. You can join on Patreon or PayPal. Check out the Support the Show tab on the website for more information. In 1775, Continental soldiers would be quartered in buildings on the campus. Not quartered and drawn. (laughs) No, I I don't think that would have been very supportive of our soldiers if they'd done that to them. Crimson was an unofficial color, though, starting in the mid-1800s when a couple of rowing team members wore crimson scarves so they could be seen from afar. Didn't they know that neon works much better for that? <laughs> oh, good grief. You don't you don't want you hated your school colors, which were kind of neon. Oh my gosh. And orange. orange and yellow. <laughs> Who in the world? I was like, was somebody colorblind? And then they added black the year after I graduated, so you could either be a bumblebee or Halloween. I mean, I, at least I would kind of go for the Halloween thing. <laughs> buzz, buzz, buzz. <laughs> but you know, if we'd had anybody show up in the mid eighteen hundreds wearing neon, we'd have to be talking time travel because I'm sure they didn't have neon back then. This is true. Michael, my voice is trashed. Later, students would live here, including Ralph Walder Emerson. Walder? Walder. Walder. I mean, just uh, you can call him whatever the hell you want. Nobody knows who he is Wally? anyway. Including Ralph Walder. Oh, my God. <laughs> I guess you really want him to be called that. Cold meds. <laughs> then, Harp. This would become the first Harvard house to be led by a sex, sex, sex couple. <laughs> Great. Sexy sexers. <laughs> sex, lady, sex, sex, sex. Students, students, students soon started. Shouldn't be that hard. It's your last name. <laughs> I know, but there's students soon started. It's a lot of S's. S's, 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 S's. <laughs>